Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Scram, the podcast that shouts about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and I am back out and about for another Scran on the Road special. I headed out west to the Isle of Isla to discover more about the food and drink scene there. A whiskey lover's pilgrimage, this small island is known as the Queen of the Hebrides, and on visiting for the first time, I was keen to find out what was on offer and how the island has coped over the last year and a half without its bustling tourism. I also wanted to know what visitors can expect now that we can travel there again. On this episode, I discover a range of Isla trams and find out more about the famous whiskies that draw tourists year after year in normal times. I also find out more about one of the newer spirits from the island, Isla Gin. To find out more about the island spirits, I spoke to the visitor centre manager at Bonahaven, Billy Sinclair, owner of Isla Gin, Audrey Gow, owner of Kilhoman Distillery, Anthony Wills, and Ardbeg's visitor centre manager, Jackie Thompson. Coming up, Billy discusses what changes have come about at Bonahaven. We're trying to be as pragmatic as possible. We're, we're, we want to welcome people back because that's what that's what we do. It's, it's about making people feel welcome and, and inviting them into your, to your home. It's just trying to put everybody at their ease, but let them feel that, yeah, this is okay, but I'm comfortable with what they're doing here. We're doing it right, but they're not doing it in a, a hard way. We're, we're being as soft as we can about it, basically. Audrey talks about setting up Biologen. I worked for a distillery and my husband was a scientist and he took early retirement and so we decided to just join our skill set and thought well you know what does everybody else do on Isla? Well they farm, fish and make drink. So we started the company 2017 and then spent a year um, with recipes and uh, finding out and getting our licenses and it took us a whole year to get started producing really. Anthony chats about being one of the newer Isla Whiskey distilleries. Seven or eight distilleries prior to us starting have, have done a fantastic job in promoting uh, Isla as a brand around the world for, for many years. And uh, we've been fortunate to ride in on the back of the success of the other uh, single malts here on Isla and, and people were interested and fascinated to find out what a new distillery could offer. Jackie talks about Ardbeg's loyal fans. Tattoos the Pantone reference of the smoked kelp green that we've got everywhere, uh, car registrations, we've even had kids with names Ardbeg in them and things. So there is a real, I think every brand has a following, but Ardbeg has a real passionate, passionate 
um, sort of mesmerising following. Now that most of Scotland is in level two, one or zero, we can finally travel again and start planning summer holidays at home. I've always loved exploring Scotland, especially now after being cooped up at home for so long. So without further ado, I can say once again, welcome to Scran on the Road. My first stop on this part of the trip was one of Isla's established whisky distilleries, Bonahavim. Located along a beautiful single-track road with stunning views of Jura, Bonahavon is a much-loved distillery on the island. Today I'm joined by Billy Sinclair, Visitor Centre Manager at Bonahavon. Hi Billy, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Fine, so I think my first question has to be, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Bonahavon? Well, I'm not a native Elach, I'm from Glasgow originally, but I've got three native Gaelic speakers in the shop, in the Visitor Centre. And they tell me it's Bonahavon. So the U at the start is sounding like an O, so it's Bonahavon. Okay, Bonahavon, right. Yeah. So I've not been seen it. Right. <laughs> you can tell who's visited the distillery before because they get a, a lesson in Gaelic every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how? So you're not from here, you're from Glasgow. How did you end up in this role and, and living on Isla? Uh, I worked in the university system for 23 years as a lecturer um, and gradually got fed up with the admin and it wasn't as much fun anymore so we decided to come home and if you're moving back to Scotland and you're a whiskey drinker and a whiskey fan there's only really two places to look at and that's either Speyside or Isla and Isla was the winner hands down so we were lucky enough to move over here um, I started out as a tour guide at Lagavulin for a year then a lead guide at Kalila and uh, this next week is my four-year anniversary as a manager of the visitor centre here at Bonahavon. Nice. And it's, there's quite a few changes. So anyone who um, comes to visit, which you can do now, you're open now for visitors, is that right? Yeah, we're open. Uh, the, the shop's open 10 till 4 and we've started to gradually reintroduce tastings again. So we've got the Warehouse 9 tasting that we do is on half 10 and half 2. Um, as a starting point for that, uh, to, to reintroduce ourselves back out into the population and also to, to get visitors coming back on site in a, a manageable and controlled manner. And how has it been? Because obviously right now should be or should have been Fesh. So that's the um, the Music and Malt Festival in Isla that was cancelled last year and this year, but it went virtual. How, like obviously it's been very different, but how does it feel now to be slowly getting people back visiting and that kind of thing? It's great to be getting back to a degree of, of, well, I won't say normality because everybody's thrown that about, but just getting back to doing what we do. It's been kind of surreal overall. It's a, a difficult year for everybody, um, difficult year for everybody on the island as well because it's such a, a, a tourism-based economy in many ways, other than the, the distilleries. But um, I think everybody's now got to the stage where we're trying to be as pragmatic as possible. We're, we're, we want to welcome people back because that's what that's what we do. It's, it's about making people feel welcome and, and inviting them into your, to your home. Um, but we also have to balance that with making sure that they feel comfortable to do that because everybody's been living in their own wee strange virtual world for the past 15 months. Um, and there's no one easy route out of that. Everybody's got their own path to take. So we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen and, and we'll welcome everybody back with, with a big smile behind the mask and <laughs> and we'll, we'll give them a dram and we'll, we'll sort it out. Yeah, which sounds good. Um, so what, from a from a COVID point of view, um, if we were arriving here tomorrow, what, what kind of thing can you expect in terms of visiting the distillery? It's nothing too intrusive. I mean, we're following the government guidelines to the letter as we, we have all the way through and we've got our own sort of um, company systems that we put in place for, for folk coming on site as well. 
is a, a guest coming to the shop. Um, it's basically you've got a face mask on, you've moved a, a face cover in any of the buildings on site. Come into the shop, there's, there's screens, plastic screens around the till area, and we'll socially distance from, from you. Instead of coming right up beside you and standing talking to you as friends as we normally would, we've got to maintain that little bit of social distancing. As you come in, there's hand sanitizer there. We ask everyone to, to have a wee, wee squish of the hand sanitizer. And we've got a one-way and a queuing system in operation for, for coming into the shop. If you've booked onto a tasting, what we've we'd started doing this just before we closed down for COVID reasons, that we were moving over to an online ticketing system so that you could pre-book the tours and pre-book the tasting. So it gave us a better way of managing who was coming on that day and we knew what to plan for and get everything prepped. So that's still in place that you, you sign up online and you, you book your tickets online um, and all the information that you put in there um, meets all the track and trace requirements for any sort of follow-up contacts. When you come to the distillery for your tasting, we'll ask you to do a temperature check. It's a wee sort of infrared temperature thing. You just put your head up to the, close to the buzzer and it beeps at you. Um, and you fill in the, the details of yourself and any of your, your party that's travelled anywhere in the last three days. And we've got the current list of countries that are acceptable and um, on red list countries and things. So it, we're, we're ticking all the boxes in that sense, but we're trying to make it as friendly as possible. You don't want to be too intimidating and, and too draconian in how you implement those rules. There's ways and means of doing it. And it's just trying to put everybody at their ease, but let them feel that, yeah, this is okay, but I'm comfortable with what they're doing here. They're doing it right, but they're not doing it in a, a hard way. We're, we're being as soft as we can about it, basically. Yeah. Um, and before you said you're a fan of whiskey and you were looking where to move to either Speyside or Isla, had you visited here as a tourist before you moved here for the whiskeys and Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. So you were a fan of Isla Whiskey before? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a dream job then? It's, it's, I've had more challenging jobs in my life, I must admit. <laughs> no, I, my wife says I've been drinking way too much whiskey for way too long. Um, but the first whiskey I ever tried was Lagavulin. Mm. And I ended up getting a job there. So that was bucket list type stuff sort of thing. So it's, Isla whiskies are, are known throughout the, the world. Whether you're a whiskey drinker or not, you've probably heard of, if you know anything about whiskey, you know where Isla is. Mm. It's, it's one of those pilgrimage places that everybody in the whiskey world wants to visit. Whether they love that style of whiskey or not. I mean, Isla is renowned as the home of the big scary peat monsters of the whiskey world. And it has a, a, a powerful reputation in, in, in the whiskey world. We are going against the grain, literally, in that sense, because most of what we produce here is unpeated. So we're a bit of an anomaly in that sense that we're an unpeated, unpeated distillery in the land of peat, mm -hmm. which is, is great fun. We love that. And do you think, do people know that when they come here? Or do they come here kind of thinking, OK, we're going to get a big peated whiskey? Small percentage of the, the people that visit is, are surprised by that. That's the, the people who are not big whiskey fans. They've, they've maybe dabbled in whiskey or they've had a dram or two or they're over on holiday because it's, it's, although there's nine distilleries here, there's amazing scenery, there's amazing wildlife. It's a beautiful place to come and just chill as a, as a holiday. Um, and people wander around if they've never been to a distillery and go, oh, right, we'll go and have a look and see what that is. So because they've maybe read that Pete, 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 and it comes, oh, so you guys really Pete as well? No. What? So there's a bit of surprise there. And that's all part of the, the individual conversation. It sparks that little bit of banter between people and, and you can tell them whatever they want to, to know and, and things like that. So it's all good. Which I suppose you've kind of answered this, but, you know, this is a bit of a pilgrimage for people and it's really this small island in Scotland draws people in a lot, a lot doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, as an overview, what would you say? Is it mainly whiskey fans coming here? Or like you say, is it, is it a lot of different kinds of tourists normally? 
normally throughout the summer is predominantly whiskey fans. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of bird watchers and a lot of um, wildlife guys coming in over the, the autumn and the spring because there's so, so much here. I mean, we've got some like seven different species of raptor. We, we've got otters literally 500 metres from the distillery. Oh, we've got all we cuddly otters in the shop for people <laughs> because we had BBC Spring Watch, our winter watch up, filming the otters in the bay. Um, and there's there's so much wildlife around up here. So it's a it's a in a normal year it's a it's, there's a fluctuation in the type of visitor that comes to the island for particular things. And even though there's lots of whiskey people in the summer, you'll still get tourists, you'll still get backpackers, you'll still get general travellers that just want to get away and go somewhere. Family come back during the school holidays to see their parents and things. So it's there's a a, a moving dynamic throughout the year, um, and it's it just seems to be building each year, obviously. Yeah. In, in normal, normal circumstances. Yeah, normal times. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully normal times means that Face will be back next year. Do you, I mean, not, none of us have got a crystal ball, but do you see that being likely that we'll be, you know, we'll be back full festival or everybody here? If I could say with any degree of certainty, I'd be buying a lottery ticket yeah. after this. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, hopefully by then, I suppose from, from the general point of view would be that hopefully by then a significant proportion of the, the population have been inoculated, that there isn't any major change in the, the the impact of any new variants coming out of COVID and that we get back to a degree of movement that is closer to what we have before. I think the one thing that we've realised that COVID has made us realise is that if we hadn't moved everything online and gone virtual with tastings and doing virtual tasting. I mean, everybody's probably sick to the back teeth of Zoom calls now, but you can use them to your advantage and make them quite fun. And we've moved a lot of what we were doing over the last year onto to the internet. So we've, we've really boosted the, the, the shop online and we link that to tastings and we do tastings online and contact whiskey groups and do tastings for 50, 60, 70 people. We book individual ones on, on through the website for two, three, four people. And we'll we'll host those tastings there, and I think the re- the the reality moving forward is that even when we go back to doing like normal fish and we've got two thousand people on site, we'll still be doing a virtual version of it as well for those guys that can't get here because it's not the easiest place to get to. We're probably one of the most remotest sites on the island, and we have a a, a challenging road to get here. <laughs> yeah, which I can attest to. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a trek to get here, um, and not everybody can make that. So I think we are now more comfortable in the position that we're in to be able to reach out to, to people who are not here and bring a little bit of island, a little bit of bona having to them wherever they are, mm-hmm. which is has been good for us to to break out our shell a wee bit and, and do that. Yeah, um, scary but good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be well versed at Zoom now. Yes. Although I, there's always someone who's on mute, and sometimes it's even me, and I'm oh, doing them daily. <laughs> I'm forever being told you're on mute, Billy. You're halfway through a monologue, and nobody knows what you're saying. And it never, it's never the same second time round. Yeah, no, I know I'm the same. Um, so, how would you describe Bonhaven whiskies yeah. to people to people that have I don't really know. Bonhaven. Um, it's atypical for for what you consider to be the Isla style, because everybody relates that to Pete. Bonahaven's soft, it's floral, it's sweet, it's charismatic, it's it's complex. We use a lot of sherry casks to mature our whiskey, so you get a lot of that rich, sweet fruit flavour coming through, um, stewed fruits and and 
but it's got this little quirky thing that it's it's lovely and sweet in the mouth and in the palate, but at the end it's a little bit spicy and a little bit warm. It's like dark chocolate and chilies coming through and stuff like this. So it's it's a very um, enigmatic kind of dram, but it is probably the softest dram on Isla. Um, the 12-year-old is our standard one that most people will be familiar with. We've got an 18-year-old, which is, to me, the best whiskey we make. I think it's gorgeous. Um, and it's just like turning the intensity up and all those flavours a little bit as we go. But it's a very charismatic, rich, sweet dram that is not aggressive. Even when we make peated whiskey here, um, that's about 15, 20% of what we make. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll make quite heavily peated stuff as well. And it's a very different kind of peated whiskey compared to our colleagues down in the, the south of the island, Arbeg or Lagavulin or Lafroig. Because the spirit itself is very different. Every distillery has got its own unique new make spirit with stuff that comes out of the stills. And that gives it so much of its character. And it's determined by the shape of the stills and all the different production process. And then the flavour aspect comes through with the, the maturation and the cast. So no two are ever the same, but they've got similarities. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating world to delve into. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we're sitting here now, um, if anyone's wondering, obviously podcast can't see, in the old shop, which is lovely. Um, and we're probably getting some of the acoustics from that. But you're going through some changes. So you've painted, the, the building's been painted. It's no longer grey, it's white. Um, you've got a new master distiller in Brendan. Yep. Um, so is, you know, and there's works going on up at the warehouses. So is that is that something that visitors will notice in terms of the changes you've got or is this just sort of behind the scenes kind of oh definitively it will be noticed um <laughs> the fact that we, we almost need sunglasses to walk along the main drive of the yeah. distillery now because it's all in a, a fresh coat of white paint um is, is a major change for us over the last few years i mean i think over the last two and a half three years there was a, a major investment announced for bonahaven from our parent company distel um we took out a couple of the old crumbling warehouses down at the, the entry to the the, the site and that's where we invested a lot of money to build a brand new visitor centre. Um, if you've ever been to Bonahav and you've got that rickety old road and you come down and it was either the little shop upstairs or it was the the, the building at the end of the pier, which was great, but it, it didn't quite hit the mark. Whereas now we've got this fantastic looking facility at the, the entrance to the distillery where you can sit and enjoy a dram overlooking the Sound of Isla and overlooking the Paps into Jura and down into Mull. And you you won't see Tobermory or Sister Distillery, but it's down there. Um, and just relax and enjoy yourself and, and chill out after that journey to get here and enjoy a couple of drams there. So there's there's the new visitor centre. Um, there's the the buildings are all being sort of upgraded in in terms of the physical appearance, but also internally they're being upgraded to make it a, a safer, healthier place to work. And where the old village is behind the distillery, um, they're building a biomass plant there so that we can be a little bit more energy efficient, a little bit more green, reduce our carbon footprint and, and meet the, the new guidelines and, and plans for from the SWA for the, the next few years in terms of energy efficiency and, and carbon footprint. Nice. So huge changes. Yeah. And was it white before and then went grey or has it never been? Because all, they all look white, aren't they? Is this a bit of a saga? No, no. <laughs> the, 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 the main reason they were painted white was back in the, the old days, everything used to come in by boat. Right. Um, and... 
a bright white building was easy to spot from see if there was a fog or a haze coming down so the skippers could see that's that's it there. And most of them had their name printed along the wall because it would be really embarrassing if you were rocking up with 200 tonnes of grain for Kalila and you came up at Bonahaven instead. <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad, all the way out and round of you. So that was, the names were, were painted on because the skipper could see, yep, that's the right one. Um, for us, it, it was, yeah, it was white a long time ago and it gradually aged and became a little bit more in, incognito. And there have been some fairly caustic remarks about that on on TripAdvisor and things right. in terms of what it looks like. But it's this bringing it up to to normality for all the other distilleries. A lot of Bonahaven fans will love that, and a lot of them will say that's wrong. You should have left it as it was. Mm. It's like everything about whiskey is in the nicest possible way divisive, because yeah. everyone's got their own opinion, and no one can tell them they're wrong. And they'll just bicker back and forwards over a drama and a laugh and, and go away friends. But So we'll, we'll get that for the next two, three years. Oh, you should have left it great. Oh, it looks lovely white. And yeah, it is what it is. So long as people are doing that over a dram and having a it's laugh. Fine. It's fine. It's that, I mean, that's what whiskey's all about. It's yeah. about having a drama with some mates and, and solving the world's problems and, and having a laugh and, and things like this. It's, nobody really takes himself too seriously in person when they come to the distillery. It's all good fun. You can't, not after a few whiskeys. No. <laughs> the name becomes easier to say, though. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just finally, um, part of the podcast is uh, I asked some quick-fire questions, um, one of them being Desert Island Drams. So if you could only take three whiskeys onto a desert island, what would they be and why? I suspect you're going to say. Ouch. <laughs> what I have in 18. It's uh, it's always been in my top three. It's a fantastic whiskey. Um, the one that introduced me to whiskey is Lagavulin, so I'd definitely take a Lagavulin. And the other one would probably be a Mortlach, um, which is up in Speyside. And it's just totally different, but yeah, it's stunning stuff. So that would... Today, that would be my three. That yeah. might change tomorrow, but that's my three today. <laughs> well, the sun is shining today. It does <laughs> make a difference, it. doesn't it? It does, yeah, because if it's a miserable cold day and the, the hail's going horizontal, you want something big and peaty and warm. And mm. Summer whiskies are light and floral and, and sit in the end of the pier having a dram type stuff. So it varies all the time. Um, but yeah, th those three are always in my top ten regardless. Nice. Uh, and finally, so this is about food now. You need to yep. bear with me while I remember the questions. So <laughs> it's my life and food. Five questions. First thing that comes into your head. Okay. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of? Curry. Comfort food for me is? Salt vinegar crisps. My favourite childhood dessert is? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, strawberry custard. Uh, my food heaven is? A really nice steak and a glass of Malbec. And my food hell is? Anything with garlic. Oh, right. Can't stand garlic. It's all okay in a curry, but if you make garlic, garlic mushrooms are the worst culinary oh, really, thing known to man. They're really garlicky. Like those breaded ones. Any kind of garlic mushrooms. My wife loves it and I'll cook them for her, but oh my goodness me, I can't eat them. <laughs> so you're a no to an Italian then, if it's really garlicky? Yeah, yeah. Aye. Okay. I don't mind Italian food, but... Uh, too much garlic just kills anything for me. And uh, just sorry, just one last thing. This is actually more probably more for me than everybody else. But if you had to see one thing on Isla as a tourist, what would it be? Well, I haven't distillery. <laughs> if it wasn't, but I haven't distillery. <laughs> um, either the Celtic Cross or Finlagen. Okay. Well, we just we drove past that. It's a beautiful site. It's haunting. It's got a lot of history. It's very atmospheric. 
even in a, a cloudy, even more so in a cloudy day. It's a bit like Glencoe for me, that you can go through it a hundred times and it'll be different every time and you still get that little bit of history and atmosphere creeping in. So Finlagen or the, the Celtic Cross down are big. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And I'm away to have some whiskey now. <laughs> Quite right. <too. laughs> Next up, I drove to Isla Gin, where owner Audrey chatted about why she set up the company, their gallery-like shop, and what made her move to Isla. Today, I'm joined by Audrey Gout of Isla Gin. Hi, Audrey. How are you? Hi, I'm good this morning. Thanks very much. Uh, so we're here in your gin shop, which is in Isla Square near the house. Um, and it's lovely. Um, it's kind of like an artist studio as well. Yeah, it's. Um, we wanted it to show off the island. So a friend has cross-stitched many of the islands that are local here. And it just gives something else for people to look at as well as the, the gin and and our first still that we bought here and um, we brought it into the shop so that people can see how we started. Uh, and when did you start? How, how did this all come about? Um, I worked for a distillery and my husband was a scientist and he took early retirement and so we decided to just join our skill set and thought well you know what does everybody else do on Isla? Well the farm, fish and make drink. So we started the company 2017 and then spent a year um, with recipes and uh, finding out and getting our licenses and it took us a whole year to get started producing really. And then um, we produced our first gin called, uh, it was actually called Nerebus, which is the hamlet where we live. And uh, Nerebus is surrounded by deer and heather and that's the inspiration for our gin and our um, we call it Nerebus Heather. And uh, the, the deer was the inspiration for our logo, which are antlers. Um, and then we started producing and first selling just locally to local shops. And then slowly we, people were asking for tastes and, you know, how can we meet you? Um, but we make the gin up at our house, so we didn't really want the everybody coming up to the house and invading our little hamlet of Nerebus. <laughs> so um, we looked for premises and here we are. We're in Isla Square uh, at Bridge End, along with some other um, other shops and um, art galleries and bits and pieces. It's a lovely little square. And we're, um, we're here over the summer months. We're open every day, apart from Sunday. And uh, usually I'm here at 11 o'clock screeching into the car park just on, <laughs> just on, on opening time. Uh, and what is it like creating a gin in a place where it's predominantly known for whiskey? Have you found that people are very interested because, you know, they come here for whiskey and they find there's gin here as well? Yeah, I think people are really surprised. And, um, you know, both men and women uh, are gin lovers. Um, I think it's a myth that it, that men like whiskey and women like gin. I've found that it's in equal measure. Um, and people just come into the square sometimes and uh, just go, oh, there's gin, fantastic. Um, we, you know, either, either it's a couple or friends and they've been going around whiskey distilleries and they just think, great, now we can, now we can try our gin. So um, I think it's, you know, I think... Things are changing. There's going to be rum, and there is rum on Dura now, and um, and I think it's good for the tourists to have choice. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because not not everyone that comes here is necessarily a big whiskey lover, and if they are, they're not necessarily a big peaty whiskey lover. So it's good to have other things to try. I think that's very true. And we have a lot of people here that don't just come for whiskey; they come for bird watching, or walking, or cycling, um, and so they all come into the shop as well. And they 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 are looking for other things to do other than um, tasting whiskey. Mm. Um, and then you do, of course, get a lot of people who do just specifically come for the whiskies. So there's a real mixture of people and tourists and visitors that we get, actually. Yeah. And you're not from here, so did you? Did, was it just purely, what was it that brought you to Isla? Um, well, I'm from the West Coast. Uh, I went to school in Oban, and um, my parents, my mother's from Uist, and they ended up living here about 25 years ago. And uh, we, we obviously, we visited, and we bought a little cottage so my mum got Alzheimer's and we bought a little cottage so that we could come and go and stay there while we saw her and then after um after my parents moved uh we moved into their house that my dad built with some builders and so there's lots of lovely memories in that house um and uh, my mum with her Alzheimer's when she was with us she would walk into the house and say oh I love the colours of your walls and your carpets forgetting that actually she What's painted that them that colour <laughs> so so there we are lovely memory to be there in their house making the gin and um, yeah it's something that she would have loved yeah uh, and you've got so you've got a navy strength gin and a heather gin and you're bringing out two different ones soon aren't you we're bringing out a gorse Excellent. and a gorse navy and the gorse is going to be 40% and uh, the navy will be 57% like the heather navy. And the reason that we, um, we've made the gorse a 40% out volume is so that the people have got a range of strengths. So you could say, look, if you want a sort of weaker gin, mm. take the gorse, uh, you, the, the heather's 42%, and then whether you want a stronger one, it's 57%. And it's very, uh, and again, um, it was a bit of an experiment because I said to my husband, oh, there's a few people coming into the shop asking for Navy Strength. Maybe we should try it. But it's been a complete hit. People love it. Mm. And uh, again, if you've got people that have been used to uh, drinking whiskey, they do like the strength of the Navy Strength gin. And it's very smooth. Um, it's smooth for a strong drink. So it's, it's been popular. Yeah. And so was it your idea to sort of start this gin, like look at botanicals that were local and, you know, obviously you said it took you some time to get your recipe together. Did you have like an idea in your head of what it was you wanted to be your end product? Uh, we had we had two things in mind. Um, one, that it was going to be premium. And two, that you could drink it neat. And there's only two of us really running the business. I'm, we've got a son that helps with our social media and web, but he's also got a, a you know a proper job. <laughs> so um, he, he does help us a lot from Oxford where he lives. But apart from that, it's just me and Johnny. So we didn't want to pick something where um, we were having to go out and get lots of botanicals locally, and we didn't want to do that. So that's why we concentrated on one Isla botanical, which mm -hmm. is Heather which is in abundance. And then again with the gorse, we said, okay, well, let's let's just focus on one main uh, botanical. Um, and the rest, of course, the majority of the uh, gin has to be with juniper berries mm -hmm. anyway. And then the other spices we buy in. So it's just locally, obviously the water's local and the, the heather and the gorse. So that's that was our thinking. Yeah. 
It's good. I've just had some. It's very nice. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and uh, if you were to, so if you were coming to Isla for the first time, um, obviously you're going to, you know, you would come here. You, this would be your first pick. If you had to pick anywhere else to visit on Isla, where would it be for a tourist? Um, whoa. Uh, <laughs> gosh. We've got some absolutely lovely beaches. Um, they're a must. Um, we've got an amazing golf course. Um, so if you're a golfer, you can't come without playing on the Mahri course. Yep. Um, we've got beautiful bird life. You don't have to go to the RSPB building, but I would certainly bring your binoculars. Um, and there's also a war, uh, well, it's a, it's a ship war memorial down at the, the O, which is stunning. A um, bit of a walk and there's also a, a sort of bird reserve around it and it's definitely worth a visit. Plus there's some boat tours that um, will take you around to show you wildlife around the island and I think that's a must as well. There's so much to do. I mean, I could go on and on, there's just so much. And of course you've got all the distilleries as well. Yeah. So there's there's plenty to do. Um, and food and drink wise, obviously there's whiskey, there's gin. Would you say there's anything sort of quintessentially Isla in the food, um, you know, food offering? Absolutely. Uh, the seafood is second to none. Um, we've got uh, scallops and lobsters, crabs. Um, we've also venison is on menus often, and that is absolutely local and delicious. Beef, it's local and, you know, literally fat free like the venison um yeah seafood venison beef try it when you come it's absolutely amazing nice thank you uh, and just finally if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only take three drinks what would they be well it has to be nervous <laughs> it has to be nervous heather and um and then i would take premium tonic and we do use fever tree tonic and that's not because um they've bribed me or anything like that it's because they're good tonics and they do match well with the uh, the gin we use an aromatic and a mediterranean so i would take a gin and a tonic and i'm a lover for sparkling water nice good well thank you very much and thank you for the gin thank you my pleasure it was lovely to meet you thank you you too I headed up to Kilhoman to their new visitor centre to speak to owner Anthony about being a new kid on the block. Now I'm joined by Anthony Wills, who is the owner and founder of Kilhoman Distillery. Hi Anthony, how are Hello, you? Hello, nice to meet you. You too. Um, so first of all, is it Kilhoman, not Kilhoman? It's Kilhoman, so Kilhoman. silent C, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you get asked that a lot? Yeah, a lot actually. <laughs> a lot of cool people call it Kilchoman or... Uh, Kilcoman, but it is Kilhoman, as the, yeah, with the silent C. And we put on our logo, the, the H and the big type face, so that maybe people pick that up. Yeah. Um, so you're one of the newer distilleries here in Isla. Um, so what was the, how did you come to be, um, you know, obviously establishing in such a well-known whiskey region? What was the sort of ethos behind Kilhoman? Uh, well, I'm, my background is in the, in the drinks industry all my career for sort of 40 odd years. And uh, I, we moved to Scotland from England uh, in 1995, and I moved into the, from the wine trade into the whisky industry. At the premium end, I was an independent bottler. I bought single casks of whisky from various facilities around all Scotland and sold those worldwide. And I saw the demand for uh, premium single malt. And then I thought, uh, you know, then I should be making it myself rather than buying it from other distilleries. So I looked into um, building a distillery, which, which back in those days was pretty unheard of. Um, new distilleries weren't really being built. 
Uh, it's very uh, risky to build a new distillery. A lot of money required and, and returns take a long time to come through. Uh, but I, having been involved in the industry, I, I realized there was a niche there that could be tapped into. And you know, my wife's family have had a place on Isla for, for many, many years. She's been coming here since a child. So uh, I persuaded her to move back to Isla and um, felt this was the best place to build a new distillery just because of uh, Isla's reputation around the world for single malt whiskey. I mean, the seven or eight distilleries prior to us starting have, have done a fantastic job in promoting uh, uh, Isla as a brand around the world for, for many years and uh, we've been fortunate to ride in on the back of the success of the other uh, single malts here on Isla and, and people were interested and fascinated to find out what a new distillery could offer. And you're a, a farm, you sort of say you're a farm distillery, does that mean that you know obviously you're growing the barley and, and it's all like a full circular kind of thing here, is yes. that right? and I think we needed to have a point of difference. Look, there are over 100 distilleries in Scotland before I built Kilhoman. And, uh, you know, to build a distillery like all the others would have been, you know, what's the point? You know, there are plenty of distilleries doing the same thing. So we needed to look at having a point of difference, a uniqueness that maybe would attract people to us. Uh, and basing it on a farm was all about taking whiskey production back to its origins, you know, back in the old days, 200 years ago. That's how distilleries started on working farms and made it grew a little bit of barley fed to their cows and their cattle, but also made a bit of whiskey. And we wanted to replicate that in some way, in a modern way. Uh, and so, yeah, we're proud to point out that we grow malt, distill, mature and, and bottle a percentage of our whiskey here at Kilhoman. Nice. And so for anyone that hasn't ever tried the, the whiskies, what is a kind of good overview of your core range or, or your whiskey in general? Um, we're Isla style. So uh, the peaty, smoky maritime character is there. Uh, but it's more rounded and soft maybe than some of them. Uh, that's because, you know, the one thing about building your distillery is you can design and, uh, and uh, build your distillery around achieving a certain style of, uh, of whiskey. And we wanted to be able to release it at a young age. So we don't pretend that our whiskies are 10, 20, 30 years old. I mean, they're not. Uh, so a lot of them are quite young. So we needed to make sure that they were approachable at a young age. And Fortunately for us, the whiskey consumers around the world are very educated now. They have a huge amount of information they can tap into uh, very easily. And uh, so non-aged even single malts were starting to become a bit more of uh, interest. So when we launched, uh, there was a huge number of whiskey enthusiasts waiting to try it. Unfortunately, they enjoyed it. Yeah. And I've noticed, so we're sitting sort of within the shop area just now, um, and one of what looks like a new release is a tequila um, finish, so which is quite, you know, quite exciting and a bit different. Is that the type of thing that you're doing? You're sort of going into things that people maybe aren't sort of experimenting with yet? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we mainly mature in bourbon and sherry, but we're experimenting with different cast types. Uh, and now the Scotch Whiskey Association have allowed us to use other casts other than uh, those that have always been used for the within the Scotch whisky industry, so tequila and Calvados and Cognac and Army, we're starting to fill a few of those. And it's fun because people uh, like to try something that's slightly different on occasions. Tequila is a, a spirit that is is uh, rising in popularity around the world, especially in America. So it's key. People recognize the name and then they think, oh, well, we'll try some of that. Yeah. Yeah, especially now that tequila is moving away from the whole, I tried that a few times when I was younger and I, I was very hungover. <laughs> it's yeah. becoming a bit nicer. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and you know, like all spirits, they've uh, they've sort of modernised their production methods and, and been a bit more commercial and, and people are enjoying. It's the same with single malt. And, and 
the cast types that people use and the better quality cast mean that you can mature things a little bit quicker. And it doesn't always have to be 10 or 12 or 15 years of age to really enjoy it at the younger age. Um, and so, like I said, we are sitting in the shop, you've reopened, you're doing smaller tours, tastings. What has the last year been like? Is it Obviously, it's been a bit awful and you must rely on tourism quite a lot. So what's it been like and what's it like now to have reopened? I mean, it's fantastic to reopen. Look, we built this new uh, visitor uh, centre uh, and it's completed and we had an opening party in February 2020. Which I was supposed to come to, yeah. but we, the flight got cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's fantastic. I mean, the last Look, it's the same for everyone around the UK and the world, you know, in business, in tourism. Um, uh, and the hospitality industry, it's been, uh, it's been appalling. Uh, and uh, we've coped pretty well because we've been able to, uh, to utilise the staff that we have full-time. We have five members of full-time full, full members of staff in the visitor centre, and then we employ another seven uh, during the season. So fortunately, we've got them all back now, but we use them in the bottling. Because although hospitality has been hit by the hardest uh, by this pandemic, um, whiskey sales are still carried on. And and so we've seen, uh, we've been very busy with whiskey sales, but it's been disheartening having spent such a lot of money on building this new facility that we haven't been able to open it. So it's fantastic that we've now got visitors back here um, and that we're able to showcase it uh, like we wanted to when we first opened it. Yeah. Um, and just a sort of final question would be, if you were on a desert island and you could only take three whiskeys, what would they be? I'm assuming you drink whiskey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a daft question. What would they be and why? Look, I mean, I think that, you know, Kilhoman is a favourite of mine, but of course it's going to be because uh, I, I sort of created Kilhoman. But look, I'm a fan of all, all whiskies and uh, especially scotch. And, you know, I, I, you know, I would take a Kilhoman with me and I would take a, a, a Speyside, um, a Glendronach, which I'm a real fan of, uh, Speyside, Sherid, uh, Glendronach, fantastic whiskey. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a fan of, um, of, of American whiskey and Irish whiskey. I enjoy all whiskeys, but obviously my favourite is Kilhoman, so I would make sure that I took a couple of bottles of that with me as well. Do you have a specific favourite Kilhoman, or is that like choosing I your know, children? Everyone asks me that. Everyone <laughs> asks me that. Uh, so, yes, it is uh, like saying, who's your favourite child? Um, no, look, uh, they all have a special place, but uh, I'm, I'm a fan, and everybody knows that I am of, of, of bourbon maturation. Uh, I love all these experimental casts that we're using, but I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, so I go back to something like that's tried and tested and works incredibly well for people. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, thank you very much. Unless there's anything else you want to add? No, look, it, uh, we work, we look forward to welcoming as many people as possible to uh, Isla, especially, and and to Kilhoman because uh, we we think we've got a fantastic facility here that people will enjoy when they come to Isla. Yeah. Um, are you part of Fish as well? Do you get in? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. we did another virtual Fish for the second year on the trot, which was uh, strange yet again. Um, we never thought we'd be doing a second one, but uh, we put on a, a day of uh, things for people to, to tune in and, and watch uh, tours of the distillery and tastings and all sorts of things. So we had a busy day, but it, it was not the same as having people here where it's the busiest week of the year on Isla. Everyone benefits from the huge number of visitors, mainly overseas. And sadly, this year, we probably won't see many overseas visitors too. So it's uh, the UK that we're looking forward to welcoming. And then hopefully next year, we'll be able to welcome everyone from around the world because Isla's very busy with visitors from overseas who enjoy coming here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Very thank nice you. to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Finally, Jackie Thompson discusses the world of Ardbeg. 
from how she ended up working there through to their famous face nights and what visitors can expect now they have expanded production. Today I am joined by Jackie Thompson who is the Visitor Centre Manager at Ardbeg. Um, so how did you get to where you are now? Um, how did you join the Ardbeg family? Oh, um, I joined the Ardbeg family by default. There was no divine career path for me in any way, shape or form. I didn't want to get into whiskey. It was a call from the highlands of Scotland to where I was at the time, which was Birmingham, working for a brewing company. Um, And I was kind of hitting my 30s and being down south, um, the lure of home, which is where I'm from, the highlands of Scotland from Inverness, there was a job at Glenmorangie Distillery and I applied for it and Dr. Bill Lumsden uh, interviewed me um, and it lit a fire in me, which um, I was very, very lucky to get the job at Glenmorangie. And then uh, the, the job here at Ardbeg when Glenmorangie bought the distillery came up and the company were gracious enough to ask me to come over and start a visitor centre, which uh, was really exciting. I didn't know much about the brand, didn't know much about Isla, but leapt in pregnant um, and and got stuck in and have loved it ever since. So is you were you into whiskey before this? You see, you know, it lit a fire within you. Is it is that is it something that had been there um, before, and you were kind of just getting into it, or were you not really into whiskey at all? And, and it was getting into the industry that got yeah, you into I, it. I wasn't really into it. I, I didn't sit at a bar and work my way through the gantry from Speyside to Isla. I didn't do that particularly. Um, whiskey was in the family. My grandpa was a, a heart doctor and he used to get lots and lots of whiskey and he had a big walnut cabinet with it. It's a very traditional story, but I mean, I'm talking 25 years ago um, and, you know, I used to sniff them and think, oh, interesting. And and all those evocative smells and scents, which I now find in whiskey, you know, are in that cabinet, is his cabinet of whiskey. But no, it, it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything. My life has been a bit I was a bit of an itinerant before and kind of wandered around. So this was something that really just captured my imagination. The the people that put the liquid in the bottle and more particularly the people that pop the corks and, and unscrew the lids of, of, of the bottles, you know, that's, that's really, I, I just love it. I love it. And it's those people for our beg that are quite, um, passionate aren't they that there's a community people are really if they love Ardbeg they love Ardbeg yeah it's absolutely true um tattoos the Pantone reference of the smoked kelp green that we've got everywhere uh car registrations we've even had kids with names Ardbeg in them and things so there is a real I think every brand has a following but Ardbeg has a real passionate passionate um sort of mesmerizing following which um which is quite there's a lot of wit involved in our big and you know you can't take yourself too seriously particularly we take what we do very seriously but there's a nice kind of wit to woo um the consumer and we tell good stories and it's just a a really great quality spirit that we're making to put in the bottle yeah and the stories can kind of be seen um quite often through the limited releases that you do um so this year's was scorch um and that's I, I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but you know a lot of the time that's a, a sort of face bottling so what can you tell us about you know the, the storytelling side of Ardbeg? <laughs> um, love it or hate it um, 
we we love to tell a good story. Our previous manager, no other manager, you know, he used to he'd say, oh, do we have to get dressed up for a festival day this year? So we'd have grooves and we'd have them as a hippie or kelpie, which was a wonderful whiskey, which was um, matured in Russian oak and had a very briny characteristic. So we celebrated the sea and he was Neptune. Um, the dark cove, which was a whiskey matured in black sherry cask, it had a darkness and a kind of umami richness to the, the whiskey. But we did lots of things at midnight and um, dragged him kicking and screaming uh, to be a smuggler on a hill at midnight with a, with a, with a um, signal to his consumers down at the distillery. So we, we have fun with it. Um, everything is rooted in the whiskey. You know, whatever you're looking at, whether it's drum, which was a, a great festival that we had um, a kind of... Uh, uh, we had salsa bands and all sorts of things, but it's rooted in the fact that we use rum casks. Many years ago, we did a bottling, which was a, a two Pedro Jimenez casks, um, and it was a El Diablo bottling, um, Celtic bull bottling, and we all got dressed up in them um, and had a, a fat, I'm, I'm off on one here. I'm, I've lost my train of thought there, Rosalind. <laughs> it sounds like... <laughs> It's all right. No, it sounds it sounds amazing. Like it sounds like such a good experience, which is what you know whiskey's all about, isn't it? It's, it's bringing people together and having an experience. And um, yeah, it's so Isla is known for whiskey. A lot of people visit for whiskey. But what would you say? What else is there for people coming over? You know, it, is it mainly you know whiskey pilgrimage type folk, or what would you sort of say your overview of the tourism is on Isla? It's interesting because when when you first you maybe meet somebody who's come over for the first time, I would say quite often it used to be, maybe not within the last, I don't know, five or six years, but it used to be the, the, the this kind of seductive part or the hypnotic part was the distillery and somebody would come over for that. However, Isla has so, so much more to offer. And I think just in getting that out there that, you know, people come to birdwatch, to sail, to golf, to paddleboard to surf to um there's a real entrepreneurial spirit I think that's prevailing on Isla because of the whiskey tourism it's allowed and enabled these wonderful things to happen and um, it's a it's a very it has a great identity Isla in being rooted in nature mother nature has been kind and is always kind on Isla so people will come for the whiskey and then we'll branch out and really, really scratch the surface and have a wonderful time going on all sorts of trips. You know, they'll hire an e-bike and know that we've got a lovely wee um, telephone box down on the O that's a shop in the box that a young lady has started up with gifts inside. And, you know, it, it just enables people to, to um, forge a path and, 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 um, and have a great time. So from a consumer perspective and also from, from an islander perspective as well, it's it's given a lot of, of um, sort of encouragement to people to, to do things which they might not have done maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And that's that's so healthy for, for Ireland for the economy as well. And people tend to return as well, don't they? Even though maybe not, not a lot changes, they come back again and again just to sort of a little bit of an escape. Oh, it, it's a place where you do escape. You know, there's a lot of places, some people complain about the fact that you know you don't get phone coverage somewhere but that in this day and age is really can be a wonderful wonderful blessing and um, it is a place where 
you know, at different times of the year, when you come, you will not only see different people, but you'll feel different light. The, the you know, the dynamic is different. The feel is different. So even though the landscape, you know, is the same, we're on terra firma, Isla is Isla, but, but those elemental parts of it will, will change and your whiskey will taste different too. Um, and there's something for people to do all year round on Isla. It's a, it's a great place to be. It's very... Um, yeah, it's seductive, isn't it? It seduces you um, in, a, in a very, very passionate way. And, and sometimes people have been here, you know, I don't know, they'll come 10 times a year, which is, and they become old friends, which is a lovely, lovely friendship to forge. Yeah. Um, so speaking of things to do, Ardbeg just opened the Ardstream kind of outdoor sort of uh, street food kind of situation. Um, and you have expanded... So it's a bit of a, a time of change or time of growth. Time of growth, definitely. That, that's what it is. Who'd have, who'd have thunk it uh, 20 years ago that we'd be putting in a brand new still house and doubling our capacity. So that was just commissioned in April. Our new manager, Colin Gordon, um, was the proud commissioner of the new still house. So that is up and running and the spirit is flowing beautifully. So new facilities for a filling store on the other side of the site, which is um, which the warehousemen are, are really, you know, getting to grips with as well. So great expansion on the production side. And yeah, the Ardstream trailer, we, we moved outside to make everything safe and welcoming for people in this time and kind of responding to, to what's going on in the world. And, you know, we're a few weeks in, Rosalind, which is, and the dynamic is lovely. We're doing everything safely. We're, you know, we're tracking and tracing and doing the necessary things that are here. But outside, there's a great vibe. Uh, you're going to taste the food. Have you tasted the food? Yes. Uh -huh. No. Yeah. I, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yes. Ah. Uh -huh. That was. Um, I've seen. I've seen the menu, and it looks great, and it smells good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lovely aroma which is coming down. Not peat. <laughs> A really nice aromatic in a different way. So it's an old Ardstream trailer that we, um, some great guys got their paws on and we have um, Ardbegified it. But we more importantly, we put in a wood-fired uh, wood oven inside so we can do all sorts of interesting things in that with a lovely griddle. And, you know, the old Kiln Cafe has a great reputation. So we've just literally kind of taken that and moved it outside. It's, it's been a bit of a test <laughs> on a few days when that beautiful mother nature I've talked about has chucked a few curved balls and, you know, people have been sitting, drinking their coffee, hanging onto their coffee cups. But at the moment, it's worked really well for us. We have, um, we had a wonderful uh, lady who helped us to revamp our shop. And it's a little bit, it's quite witty. And um, we've got some lovely new merchandise. And that is, allows us a place to um, chat more about the whiskey and to, to get involved in in, in those relate building those relationships with our consumers. So that's really nice. Um, we hope, we hope um, a little bit further down the line to put in a, an indoor offering, which is a bistro, something we talked about pre-pandemic, um, because ever-increasing numbers in the cafe and the success of the cafe kind of we thought we could do something a wee bit different. So a bistro style art bag, the old kiln art bag, um, becomes um, a little more refined in its dining. Um, and we put it into a different place in the distillery. So we're quite looking forward to that as well. And we're working on, on menus and the logistics of that too. So yeah, it's quite exciting. It really is. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time. 
um, our team are very excited about it all. Yeah, because whiskey and food and drink is whiskey and food. Sorry, is kind of becoming the thing, isn't it? You know, people are drinking whiskey more for like pairings with food and different, you know, cheeses, chocolates, that kind of thing. And you know, and sort of L for want of a better phrase, elevated dining experience is becoming a bit more an interesting thing with whiskey because you know you've got the Glen Turret who who owned by Lalique and they're opening their restaurant with you know a, a guy that Mark Donald who had been in a Michelin starred restaurant so it's it's sort of evolving it's nice to see it kind of move through these different phases of you know people starting to drink it more again in cocktails and it going hand in hand with like nice dining experiences. It, it, that, that, that sounds great I'm definitely going to go and visit that one. That's <laughs> I love the sound of that. Um, yeah, I, it's almost like, you know, if you're thinking about the evolution of, of food and whiskey, it's, it's almost like the, the initial evolution of people's taste through whiskey, you know, how you, you, you know, your tastes change and they evolve and they move. And it's just, you know, no industry stays still and there's nothing as constant as change and you have to adapt and you have to move and, and you have to listen to your consumer. And I think really that's what we're doing um, and have done at Ardbeg. They very much the, the the leaders in what we do and, and they they kind of guide us in what we do and yeah we started um our food journey with a scone and a cup of tea and a wee of soup and then um, you know Andy the chef in the Oakland Cafe was um and and will be preparing you know the, the bounties of the sea from Isla and and has been doing that for a long time so we are looking forward to the next stage of this journey and seeing where it takes us. Nice. And um, if you, so out with whiskey tourism, if you had to say where you would go and visit on Isla if you were a tourist, where where would it be? Well, my other half loves to drag me. Um, no, he doesn't really. <laughs> Take me on, on wild hikes. He's a very much an outdoor guy and we like to um, put on our hiking boots and meander off into the distance. But, you know, I have a special love of the Malavoe. I remember when I first moved to Isla 20, 24 years ago, um, I, I, I got on the road at the Portel and Maltings and drove out to the Malibu and thought I was going to the end of the world. You know that ignorance is bliss when you, you have no idea how long that road is going to take. And I thought, oh, we're going to drop off into the Atlantic. And my love of the old and understanding of its history and and you know being the most heavily populated and now it's indoctrinated in one of our bottlings. But... I love to meander the caves and smell the goats out in the Malavo. And I, it, it's a very, very, very special um, special place, you know, which is unadulterated Isla. Absolutely. It's it's just a, a great place to get your hiking boots on and give them a give them a try. <laughs> nice. Um, and so for the last part of the podcast, there's um, a couple of sort of quick fire questions. Um so if you were going to be stuck on a desert island and you could only take three whiskies, what would they be and why? Um, I would have to take a, an Ardbeg, of course. Talking <laughs> <laughs> about, um, and, and in no particular order, um, I guess uh, I would take a, one of, one of my loves was um, Ardbeg Arnhem-based, which was a bottling we did in 2006, 7, 8, 1990 distillate, bourbon barrel, very true to Ardbeg's distillery character, lots of first fill bourbons, creamy, um, lovely mouthfeel. And, and that, it had a great story attached, Aranambesh being shelter of the beast. So of course we did lots of um, wonderful beastie 
um, lunches for that whiskey and it's it's got a special place in my heart. Um, another one I love is Springbank. So I probably take a nice big gutsy cask strength Springbank, which um, I love their ethos. I love the traditional nature of Springbank. Um, it has a, a lightness of touch as well, which I, I very much enjoy. And I think sitting next to that, maybe I should say Glenmorangie. I'm going to say Highland Park. I love maritime nature. I know. I've <laughs> yes, I, it, uh, Highland Park, simply because, again, going backwards and forwards, um, Highland Park is a kind of mid-peated Ardbeg. It finds a balance in its kind of sprinkle of smoke and peat, which I, I really, really love. And maybe a, a big... And lovely mouthfeel on a on a on a Highland Park. So I think I'd probably go for some Highland Park Spring Bank and and an Ardbeg Arenambisht. Very nice, thank you. And finally, uh, my life and food, which is a quick fire round. <laughs> um, so whenever I'm hungry, sorry, I should explain this. Um, so it's five questions, all about food. If you tell me the first thing that comes into your head, uh, if that's okay. First thing. <laughs> the first thing, yeah. <laughs> Um, so whenever I'm hungry, I think of? I think of um, pork fillet goujons um, with a lovely fluffy bed of rice, lovely crispy goujons and lots and lots of soy sauce with a broccoli. It's a childhood thing. Nice. Uh, comfort food for me is? Quite often comfort food comes with a hangover, but I never have had one. Um, ever in my life so I, that comfort food on a plate would be a lovely piece of smoked ham with crispy sautéed potatoes and a lovely bubbling cauliflower cheese that to me is ultimate comfort food my favorite childhood dessert is <laughs> it's a funny one do you know that my mum used to make something really odd, which was with mandarin oranges, cream and digestive biscuits. And she used to kind of mush them all together. And um, my mum didn't like making dessert. She can probably tell, but I actually, when I think about it, I can see it in the glass. I, I don't know if it's a, a good memory or not, <laughs> but it's certainly a childhood dessert memory. Sounds quite nice though. Yeah, it does. I've, I've never replicated it. I think it was one of those things that, you know, oh God, I haven't got anything else. <laughs> Readily available ingredients. <laughs> um, my food heaven is? Yeah, it's it's it has to be seafood. It's whether you're out at sea, um, you know, pulling up scallops and having them roll with a tiny wee bit of whiskey or a glass of crisp, crisp white wine or a big platter of seafood that you're all getting really, really messy and it's all over your chokes and, you know, you can smell it for days afterwards and, uh, yeah, lobster and um, scallops and mussels and, and just a lovely big plate of seafood. And my food hell is? Uh, parsnips. Ah! <laughs> even, the, even the word makes me nervous I don't know and there's do you know it's a funny thing because I you ha, we should form a parsnip hating society because there are so many people that I speak to that don't it's a love-hate thing with parsnips and I just I wish I loved them because my father adores them and I'm you know I just I just I detest the shape of them the smell of them and the taste of them everything yeah, yeah. they are quite strong yeah they are 
they're strong and I, I, I wish I loved them. I used to hate parsley, parsnips and peppers, but in later life, peppers and parsley have come onto my radar, but parsnips still are a big fat no-no. <laughs> well, I think on that note, <laughs> parsnip note. <laughs> parsnip note. Um, thank you very much for your time and um, it was great to, to catch up and find out more about Ardbeg, what's happening and your thoughts on Isla. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Rosalind. It was lovely to talk to you and to meet you. You too. And we'll go and get some food. Go and get some scram. No parsnips. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Billy, Audrey, Anthony and Jackie for joining me on this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a Lodgeable production that's hosted and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. 